0: I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This episode is another talk or sermon from a conference I did, the Stronghold Conference, last February, down in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, Vadi Bakum was there, Rich Lusk, George Grant, and uh, Ben Merkel. It was a really great time, a lot of cool people. It was put on by my friend, Larson Hicks, who's a ruin elder at a church down there. So if you're looking for a church in Huntsville, Alabama, I can make a recommendation. This episode is really, or this talk, excuse me, is content that worked its way into our book. It's Good to Be a Man is its title. It's due out from Canon here in just a couple weeks, as I understand it. It's going to come out in October sometime. It will be available in Kindle, uh, paperback. And I hear hardcover, which is pretty exciting. Uh, So you're going to get a little preview of the book in this uh, talk, and it's on the inevitability of patriarchy.
1: This is not the sermon I intended to preach. Um... Larson said this was a mixed crowd, and I was like, "Well, maybe not this time." So I switched up yesterday. I've been speaking at a lot of uh, secular events, a lot of secular men's events, and men's uh, camps and retreats, and you can kind of say whatever you want. So, but uh, if this is going to be my coming out to the CRC and sort of people, maybe we're going to play it a slightly safer. But are well, you guys ready? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, bless this time. Help us to fear you more. Lead us in repentance. Teach us to flee and pursue and trust in you with our whole heart. In your son's name, amen. amen. Patriarchy is inevitable. God has built it into the very fabric of the cosmos as part of his divine created order. Uh, you could as soon smash it as you could smash gravity. It's natural, it's irrevocable. Cicero was right when he said, custom will never conquer nature, for it is always invincible. Men were made to rule. They always have, and they always will. Nothing can change that. Nothing will. That is what patriarchy is, uh, father rule. And the question is not whether men will be ruling, but which ones and how. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. The history of mankind begins with a man, Adam, commissioned to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule over the earth in God's stead. And that man failed to uphold the name of his father. How he ruled quickly turned bad. But that he ruled could not be changed. He could not be otherwise uh, than his father of the human race and fathers by nature rule. Uh, This had dire consequences for all those who were under his fatherhood. The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with them in his first transgression. Though the woman ate the forbidden fruit before the man, we did not fall in Mother Eve. We fell in Father Adam." Thus, mankind was plunged into a state of sin and misery by the failure of the first patriarch. But God, being rich in mercy, made a promise of redemption, a promise naturally handed down through the fathers of his people. He himself told Moses, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Consequently, Scripture traces the promises made to the fathers until the fulfillment in the finished work of Jesus Christ is through the work of the Son of Man that man is reconciled to the Father and we all can become sons of God. Redemptive history is patriarchal history. Moreover, all societal structures in Scripture are patriarchal because they all are derivatives of the original prototypical household. Before there were nations, uh, there was the original ruling family headed by Adam. Nations are headed by men because they are made up of households that are headed by men. Before there were churches, there was the original worshiping family headed by Adam. Churches are headed by men because they are made up of households that are headed by men. In fact, a man may not rule in the church unless he can manage his own household well, for how else can he be competent for the greater task of managing the household of faith. A young man told me he was thinking about going to New St. Andrews to get prepared, and that's great. I was like, what's your vocation, man? How do you take care of this, this pretty woman, this little baby? Right? If you want to be a leader in the church, start with your own household. right? Work hard. You need an education. You need to know that stuff. But first you have to show people, this is how you take care of something. This is where we always start. All leadership, whether in the Old or New Testament, whether civil or ecclesiastical, is exclusively male. Mary Daly, a pagan, heretic, feminist scholar, once quipped, the Bible is hopelessly patriarchal. And she was right. (laughs) But it's not just scripture that's hopelessly patriarchal. It's all of history. In his book, Why Men Rule, A Theory of Male Dominance, And this is by Steven Goldberg. It originally was The Inevitability of Patriarchy. It's where I got the idea for the title here. And Margaret Mead, if you know who she is, she's a terrible, terrible person. But the the mother of modern anthropology, she actually writes an endorsement for the book uh, because you can't, Goldberg's right, and you can't defeat his argument so strong. But Goldberg writes, In no society anywhere at any time have these realities been absent, In every society that has ever existed one finds patriarchy males filling the overwhelming percentage of upper hierarchical positions and all other hierarchies male attainment males attain the high status roles whatever these may be in any given society and male dominance both males and females feel that dominance in male female encounters and relationships reside in the male and society and authority systems reflect this it's clear that patriarchy is a natural and inevitable state of the world. But just because something's natural doesn't mean that all of its manifestations are virtuous. Something good by design can still be perverted by sin. Unnatural things uh, are always evil because they are contrary to God's design. Homosexual desires, for example. You can't be a gay, celibate Christian. What does that even mean? Right? Here's the complicated argument against it. No, that's stupid. That's not true, right? Right? We have to, sometimes you don't want to dignify things with long essays. You know better. You're justifying your sin. Grow up. Repent. But, But natural things, although good in being original God's design, can nonetheless be turned to unnatural ends. Heterosexual desires are a good part of God's design, yet every man knows how his flesh turns him towards that which is against God's law. For a man to be attracted to a woman is natural, for a man to lust after her is sin. Natural things must therefore be ordered towards the end God intended for them. They must be conformed to his law. So it is with patriarchy. Male rule is natural, but when not governed by God's law... It will take the form of an evil patriarchy. There is such thing as an evil patriarchy. If you're a Christian, you believe that. It was natural for Egypt to be ruled by a patriarch, Pharaoh. But the king who arose in the days of Moses was an evil patriarch. He saw the sons of Israel as a threat to his reign, and he determined to do something about it. At first, he tried hard labor. But when this didn't crush the spirits and prevent them from being fruitful and multiplying, he commanded the Hebrew midwives. He said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birthstool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Pharaoh knew that young men, the young men of Israel, unlike the women, were a threat to his reign. Men are designed for conquest, and rule, and their combined strength could be sufficient to break the chain of even a mighty dynasty like Egypt. So, in a move that comes natural to evil patriarchs, following their father the devil, he tried to use the uh, Hebrew women against the Hebrew men. But in one of the great ironic reversals of redemptive history, Shifra and Puah, the godly midwives, did not comply with the schemes of a corrupt ruler as Eve had done. Rather than being deceived into unwittingly abetting him, they resisted Pharaoh by deceiving him. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. That's kind of a... It does kind of sound like the C, doesn't it? Uh, they're vigorous. They give birth. There's babies popping out everywhere. <laughs> so God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God. Now what's his gift for them? He established households for them. Households are a blessing from God, a reward. Thus Pharaoh... Was forced to find another way to murder the future patriarchs of Israel and commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter, you are to keep alive. Young men are always the target of the evil patriarchy. Because God has made them to rule, they are a threat to existing rule. Therefore, evil patriarchs always try to do one of three things first, harness them. Why waste all that masculine energy? After all, it's you can be turned, uh towards the end of an evil patriarch, why not use it? This is the first impulse of any patriarch, since he is the leader of men, regardless of how wicked he is. Most nations have done this to some degree through patriotism, military service. The 20th century is replete with examples from Hitler youth to Islamic radicalization of disfected men in America. And Pharaoh tried to harness the sons of Israel in a slightly different way, and thus combine the first strategy with the second. The second is pacify them. If the energy of men cannot be harnessed by an evil patriarch, it often can be sapped by channeling it into pursuits that leave them impotent to rebel. This could be by putting them to work as slaves, but often by offering them some uh, like bread and circus. Soma, right? Brave New World fruitless pursuits for them to escape into rather than doing the hard work of fighting. In our day, Satan has perfected this technique with pornography and to a lesser extent with video games. Men who are hooked up like junkies to the dopamine drip of virtual fornication and fake dominion are worthless for the task of being fruitful in real life and imposing genuine order on their worlds. Was that a men's event called the 21 convention. It's non-Christian. Uh, a friend got me in there and I was like, can I say whatever I want? And I said, yeah. So I did. Um, but uh, we had a and A and a guy very sincerely, he was brave. He came up to the mic and I was talking about how terrible pornography was and it was a sin and to reject it and just like ripping into pornography. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, what am I supposed to do if I can't get a woman? And, um, and he was I just asked him, I said, look, after you get done masturbating to pornography, do you feel like a man? (laughs) He said nothing, sat down, right? They're trying to enslave you, young men. I know there are some young boys here who have stumbled onto things, even in homeschool families, maybe especially in homeschool families. But urge you, young men, if that's you, talk to your mom and dad. Your dad's for you. He's not against you. Your dad understands more than you think. Marx, following his father, the original liar, famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Not so. Entertainment is the opiate of the masses. And the more debauched, the better. Religion, true religion, is the one thing that sets the masses free and thus makes them impossibly dangerous to an evil patriarchy. When that happens, there's only one option left. And while they're trying to close our churches down and close our live streams down, you might think about this. Destroy them. Young men who cannot be harnessed or pacified must be crushed. They are too dangerous to an evil patriarchy to be allowed to live. This is why the most godless regimes are always the most murderous. Communism is well known for its ruthless hunt for dissidents in its own ranks, typically Men. Pharaoh determined to kill every baby boy among the Hebrews, even though it would decimate his labor force. The serpent eats its own tail. That is why the serpent eventually loses. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite uh, writers, um, in uh, Thoughts for Young Men, he warns, Young men, this enemy is working hard for your destruction, however little you may think it. You are the prize for which he is specially contending. He foresees you must either be the blessing or the curse of your day. And he is trying hard to affect the place in your hearts early in your life in order that you may help advance his kingdom each day. Take that to heart. Habits are good and bad, right? And Ryle in Thoughts for a Young Man has that wonderful analogy of a sapling which is very easy to bend and then when that sapling should it grow to a tree, you can't bend it at all when it's full grown. So right now, if you're a younger man really, no matter where you're at things are only going to get harder to form good habits but if you start working on habits now, godly habits, you'll grow into them and it's hard to move right? Like there's this saying online in the manosphere uh, to be hard to kill amen, but Apply that spiritually. Build habits, because there is someone that means to destroy you, and you shouldn't fear the one that can only destroy the body. Throughout all of history, we see manifestations of this ancient satanic war on men. Men are prized because patriarchy is inevitable. Therefore, whoever controls men controls the future. So who controls men in our churches today? It's not the overtly evil patriarchs, or at least not for the most part. Christian men have more sense than that. But it's not the pastors either. Once again, you know, speaking in generalities here, it's because they're weak and ineffectual patriarchs. They have for generations been known as the third sex because they're effeminate womanly ministries. My way I judge a pastor is I ask myself, would I follow that man into battle? Now, don't think of Conan the Barbarian. (laughs) Think of, you know, Dick Winters or Save it Private Ryan, right? This is a competent man, a calm man. It's not about muscles and brawn and like John Wick sort of stuff, you know, but it's a a man that is masculine. And that's not many of our pastors. Some of them claim to be, again, gay. (laughs) And those that don't claim to be gay kind of seem gay. Um... So, modern Christian men are faced with an impossible dilemma. Lay aside their masculinity or lay aside Christianity. On paper, this is a false dilemma. The triune God is the creator of masculinity. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, uh, is a man. (laughs) Paul, commissioned by Christ, commands Christians to be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And although many come into the church with their natural masculinity weighed down by ephemacy, grace restores nature. So there should be no conflict, but there is. The Western church is overwhelmingly comprised of women of both genders. This is clear both in its practice and in its doctrine, overtly and more subtly. This starts with simple numbers. As Leon Pottles uh, documents in the church impotent, we have had a long problem with male membership. Most churches, uh, their numbers are skewed north of 60% women and have done so for many generations. Clyde of Mather, we're like, where's all the guys at? So it's been going on for a long time. The men in the pulpit have been recognized even since the Regency period as Nancy boy girly men and as fops. When I was writing the introduction to... Uh, the forward for uh, Thoughts for Young Men for canon. We had a fight over the word fop. I was like, no one knows what the word fop means, but uh, homeschoolers, but. Because I didn't know, and I'm a public school kid. But, But there you go. If you're listening, Brian, Jake, fops. Spurgeon well noted this in his day too and warned his students against it. He said, there are silly young ladies who are in raptures, with a dear young man whose main thought is his precious person. These, it is to be hoped, are becoming fewer every day. But as for sensible men, and especially the sturdy workmen of our great cities, they utterly abhor foppery and a minister. Wherever you see this affectation, you find at once a barrier between the man and the common sense multitude. Few ears are delighted with the voices of peacocks. It is a pity that we cannot persuade all ministers to be men, for it is hard to see how otherwise they will be truly men of God. It is equally to be deplored that we cannot induce preachers to speak and gesticulate like other sensible persons, for it is impossible that they should grasp the masses till they do. All four matters of attitude, tone, or dress are barriers between us and the people. We must talk like men if we want to to win men. Spurgeon observes that the silly young ladies are in rapture at such men. <clears throat> Much of the problem, that is where the problem comes from. These, lady, and these ladies love these type of men, and these men know that, so they cater to them. Um, <clears throat> he takes such men to be chiefly preoccupied with their precious persons, and while this is true, uh, their vanity is of a particular sort. These are men whose precious persons are fully bound up with the raptures of the silly young ladies, or the foolish old women, if you want to go to 2 Timothy 3.6. These men are dependent upon female approval for their sense of self-worth and self-security. They are stereotypical white knights or nice guys. Thus, we find ourselves in the church effeminate where men may either check their testicles with the usher in the skinny jeans, sign a waiver promising not to make the women mad and softly croon about their boyfriend Jesus, or they may be escorted to the door by a mob of valiant heroes who will defend my lady's honor at any cost. They may lay aside their masculinity, or they may lay aside their Christianity. Of course, this is not a real choice. Christianity is innately masculine But framing is everything. And so if you give a man the choice, they will try to make it. And since it is a false dilemma which way they choose to go, the outworkings are disastrous. They tend towards one of two major theological errors. As I listen to the conversation on sexuality, these are the ones I've noticed. Uh, And they're both old, old errors. The first is man as a trapped spirit. If they stick with Christianity, they they typically accept... Uh, that man is a spirit trapped in a prison of flesh. On this view, our human nature is divorced from our biological nature. We are androgynous spirits, and the flesh, far from reflecting our hearts, is an encumbrance to them. So this is a 1,000 years old. The early church had to combat it under the form of Gnosticism, which saw matter as intrinsically evil or somehow lesser than spirit. Today we have neo-Gnosticism, which says to be a Christian... Uh, men are told, you must accept that your male body is toxic. Something wrong with your physicality. You know? I was listening to country music. Not something I say often. Um, (laughs) And I was at uh, a concert in Batavia. And what really stuck out to me about country music was the senses. Smell. Sight. Like, it it was visceral. And I could connect to it. And when I... Seeing a lot of modern Christian music, even some of the older hymns, you, it, it's not connected to this created realm, which is weird, because I'm a, I'm a creature. <laughs> I'm part of creation. And so there's just, in Christianity, there's this detachment from the physical, almost like animosity towards it. And that's that sort of low-level Gnosticism. You know, a lot of times people don't say these things, you know, right to your face. But you feel it in the church. So the first is a man as a trapped spirit. Second, man as a biological machine. The alternative and opposite error, which many men prefer to choose, is that our human nature is simply a biological nature. It reduces who we are to our physical appetites and impulses. It takes the standard atheistic evolutionary view that the man is a meat machine programmed by natural selection to have certain desires. It therefore only follows that there is nothing wrong with embracing these natural inclinations. This is this the secular manosphere. What's the manosphere? S- websites and blogs that are trying to help men be men, but they're almost all secular, non-Christian. And, and when you read them, this is what it emphasizes. Really, um, it talks about impulses and desires, which Christians are very uncomfortable with. You know, when you start talking about sex, everyone giggles. You're like, man, it's like. Is this junior high youth group? Um, But they're very uncomfortable with that. But these guys aren't. But they root it not in God's design, but in a sort of evolutionary psychology, uh, which we all know is just not true. So this era does not deny the body, but rather the spirit. Uh, We are nothing but a body. Moreover, our bodies are not corrupted. They are just a product of evolution, an imperfect process. Freedom in this system is surrendering to your nature. Therefore, if it feels good, if it serves your desire, do it. This error, too, is, is very old. We see the same philosophy in the schismatic religion of the Sadducees, who said there is no resurrection, no angel, uh, no spirit. The first error denies the goodness of the body and defines redemption as the spirit's freedom from it whereas the second error denies the reality of the spirit and sees no need for the body's redemption. As evidenced by the gender bias in the pews, when men feel forced to choose between these two errors, they tend to choose the latter. They rather accept that they are biological machines than there is something wrong with their bodies and that they must become more feminine to become more spiritually pure. They cannot deny their nature or their desires. Such primal, innate forces cannot simply be willed away. Masculinity is built into our body. And a majority of men rather lose Christianity, if that indeed is what they must do, than deny their very embodied nature. So churches and ministers that preach this neo-gnostic view of men uh, do not attract uh, the honor and loyalty of the kind of men, the future patriarchs that we need in this war. They just don't. You know? Do you see what I'm talking about? There are exceptions. Praise God for them. But we need to make the exception the rule, right? So, where are these men going? These men are increasingly drifting towards modern day Absaloms. Absalom had his eye on his father's throne. He wanted to rule Israel, and he knew the importance of men in achieving that goal. So he hatched the plot. Men would visit Jerusalem every day to bring a suit requiring the king's judgment. Some didn't feel like they're being heard. Uh, maybe they're, oh, I have to say something like that. I remember once I went to this church, first time I visited, um, we had this men's group. You know, it's like this terrible men's breakfast. Where you get up like at 6 a.m. and talk about your feelings. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so we, we had that. And then afterwards, there was this man, David, you're there with me when this happened. This man like, well, I just don't feel like this church understands the young people and yada, yada, yada. And I remember I looked at him and I said, I suppose, but I suppose you do, right? You understand the young people. Oh, if you were king, you know, there's always Absalom's man. Always people trying to take away authority by like seeding discord and discontent. So who knows? Maybe they were heard, maybe they weren't. I'm not sure. Either way, Absalom saw an opportunity. Absalom used to rise. This is 2 Samuel 15. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I would be appointed a judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. And when a man came near uh, to him, he would bow down, and he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. Here's the kicker. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom was able to steal the kingdom from David by stealing the hearts of men. He invested time in them, he took interest in them, he sided with them, and he defended them. Centuries later, the great city where Absalom sat in the gates was reduced to smoldering rubble. Its walls were broken down by Nebuchadnezzar. Its gates were burned with fire. When Nehemiah saw it, he wept. He wept because he knew that a city is protected by its walls. And guided by the men who sit in its gates, Jerusalem had neither. Neither she had been reduced to a chaotic ash heap. Then I said to them, "This is Nehemiah two seventeen. You see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate, and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, so that we will no longer be a reproach." And we find ourselves in a similar situation. Western society is burning. The structures that led to our prosperity have been broken down. Uh, you see this in many realms, but none so clearly as the state of our, our men. Like the inhabitants of Jerusalem during the days of Nehemiah, our men are, as Nehemiah 1.3 says, in great distress and reproach. We are living in a world of fatherless males who don't know how to rebuild the walls of the society. I call them clueless bastards. So the word bastard means illegitimate child. And when you go to Hebrews, it talks about a father will discipline his son. And the way you know your father loves you is he disciplines you. Because he cares about you. You're carrying his name forward. And so he's not just going to let you do whatever. But if you're illegitimate and not part of his house, then you're a bastard and he's not uh, invested in you in the same way. That's our whole culture. That's our whole culture right now. I mean, boys need to be loved. Boys are fragile when they're young. Anyone here that has, I've got four sons, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's weird, girls are, like, tougher than boys, like, emotionally. And you guys, boys have to learn, like, how to deal with insults. And, you know, like, if a guy, if a guy calls you a name, it may be because he loves you. (laughs) What's up, fatty, right? Uh, (laughs) Um... It may be because he's taking, trying to get a feel for you. Where are you at? Is this a guy I can trust? And so then if you overreact and get real defensive, you're going to get made fun of all the more. But if you don't say anything, then they're going to walk over you. Ladies, this is what we live in, okay? (laughs) And you need a dad. Like my son Athanasius, I love him. But I had to break that kid down. Because Every time I teased him, he got real offend- offended, so I teased him more. <sighs> you know, I just before we left, I looked at his hair, I was like, Man, you look like a dirty hippie! and he smiled and hugged me. <laughs> Victory, <laughs> I didn't know that. I was a pushover in middle school, um, got bullied a lot, then I uh got 6'1", hit the weights, 200 pounds, and then I became a macho blowhard. And any time I got a chance to get in a fight and slam someone on the ground and show them that I was a man, I would. Both of those are weakness. That's not strength. A feminine and macho is two sides of the same coin. But you need a dad to teach you that, to walk you through that. This is what baby boomers don't get. Let me help you, baby boomers. You were privileged and blessed because some of this cultural knowledge was still in society. And so the things that you think you just got that were common sense, they weren't common sense. They existed because you had uncles, right? And there was still a society of men. But a tsunami of feminism and lies came in and it took all that knowledge out to sea. And then those that grew up later didn't actually have that, they don't know how to shake hands right. Or to make eye contact. Or how to talk, how to, talk to a lady. Right? And I'm finding, I'm 40, so I'm like the edge of Gen X or Millennial, you know, somewhere in between there. And uh, I was having a conversation with a good friend, a CPA, very manly guy. And he, he was talking about, how do we deal with call anxiety? Call anxiety? What do you mean? Well, you know, when you're anxious about making phone calls. Well, What's that? Is that a thing? It is. It is a thing for people that have texted their whole life and everything's been mediated by screens. So the tendency is they make fun of them. But what if they really don't know? What if these things have actually been lost? What if the devil's tactics are wise? What if he's making us weak? They are. I mean, even 50 years ago, no one would have believed that mass shootings could ever become so commonplace. They would not have understood the concept of incels, involuntary celibate, right? These guys that believe they can never get a woman, and they cry. The sex recession, which seemed impossible to them, we're having less sex than we've ever had, believe it or not. Probably didn't know that. It's because androgyny destroys sexual desire, because it's against design. They would have scoffed at the idea that a man could have such low testosterone levels that their grip strength would be weaker than a woman of their day. Our T levels are like crazy low. Like down like 300 and below. That's crazy. It's not normal. Um, we're getting weaker. Yet here we are. Our culture has become like Jerusalem, burning. So have our, our men, they're like Jerusalem. More correctly, our men have become, um, oh, excuse me, as men have become more like Jerusalem, so has our culture. The men of the West have become ruined cities. And our real cities, states, and nations have followed. Like a city that is broken down um, without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight. 28. Most promised verses are sappy. That's a good one, guys. Add that one. Control your spirit. Now, this isn't entirely our fault. It's the fault of our fathers and their fathers and their fathers, too. There is a long line of compromises that we're waking up to. Trust me, we'll have our sins to repent of. They'll come. But it's certainly ours to fix. No doubt about that. This is where God's put us. I like 2021. This is an excellent time to be a Christian, to stand, right? This is where God put me. All you guys that think you would be like a little house, like LARPer, you'd just die. You understand that? Like, you don't have the skills you think you have. Um, it's TV. Uh, this is where God puts you, right? Maybe you need the internet to live. This is the possibility. Um, consider it. Uh, I know I do. Um, we're the ones living in a burning Jerusalem, we're the ones who must rebuild the walls. We're the ones who must overcome the evil patriarchs of our day. Whether in the deep state or the media industrial complex, we're the ones who must refuse to be turned aside to their will by deception and gaslighting and refuse to be numbered by their offers or numbed by their offers and cheap pleasures and refuse to be cowed by their intimidation and oppression. Masculinity is shamed. Strong men are vilified as toxic. Those who speak out have their houses destroyed. Fathers are portrayed in mass media as unnecessary buffoons, little better than one of the kids. I hate Berenstein Bears. I hate it. Can't stand that book. It's the worst book ever, man. Papa Bears is like a big dumb kid. I don't get it. And mama's always lecturing him, right? Be like, mama, sit down. I'm eating this ice cream. It's okay, you know? <laughs> Berenstein Bears and Curious Storage. I want a Curious Storage where the man in the yellow hat said, Now, George, don't play with matches, and the next page is a funeral, right? That's the book I want. Daddy, I don't want a story tonight. Nah, sweetie, you're hearing it again. Anyone esteeming motherhood as foundational to femininity is canceled. The Duluth model treats domestic violence as an exclusively male sin. You know how many guys have reached out to me that's getting hit by a woman? I know some of you ladies here have slapped and hit your husband, and here's why you do it, because we're not allowed to hit you back. But let me tell you something. If we hit you back, we could kill you. Don't hit your husband. Stop it. It's a real problem. And what guy's going to say, yeah, my wife's beating up on me? Not very many. Domestic abuse... It's all over the place. No-fault divorce, welfare, the wickedly uh, prejudicial custody laws that in- actually are designed to encourage women to leave their husbands and take everything they have, and so they do. Women initiating 80% of all divorces, and male suicide is heading for the skies, and no one cares. I mean, you guys do. But in the broad culture, everyone's not talking about this. You know? Do I need another gospel coalition uh, article on why it's okay to be single and have fur babies. Seriously, another one? (laughs) Jerusalem is indeed burning. Many men in the church know it, and they're tired of living in the ash heap. Their conditioning, or the condition of our culture cannot conquer their nature. They want to fight. But they crave guidance. When the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, God raised up Nehemiah to rebuild it. Where are the Nehemiahs of our day? He was not one of the third sex. He was the kind of man the third sex cancels and puts out of the church. In the absence of godly Nehemiahs, young men are turning to Absalons. Someone must help them repair what is broken and rebuild what has been lost, and the clueless bastards are groping for fathers. So they find Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, pickup artists, and secular men's rights advocates. They discover that these men are willing to listen, some for a price. Some are grifters that want the money. But I know these men on a first-name basis, many of them, and they're not all like that. They were lost, too, like in terms of their manhood, and they actually do want to help these people because fatherhood is built into the male nature. These men, like Absalom, demonstrate a level of understanding. These men advocate for them and defend them. I uh, was at a... uh, I was at... Someone allowed me into a public school. And I was like, all right. So (laughs) I was speaking to these uh, middle schoolers, and I was talking about how your male aggressiveness is good. The desire to fight, to argue is good. Violence is good, right? When aimed... And ordered according to God's design And I was walking through Jesus How he didn't lay over You know, when it came to the Sadducees and Pharisees Those little boys Perked up and listened You know, the worst children I was a junior high youth pastor They're like the worst, right? Like, There's like, are you alive? Is there anything going on in you? And uh, so, you know, when I'm speaking to 7th graders And 8th graders, I'm not exactly excited But my mom asked me, so I did it Um, And so, but these kids came alive. They came alive. And they came up and shook my hand. Public school kids. Thank you, sir, so much. (laughs) The girls, not so much. (laughs) And I didn't even say anything negative about girls. I was like, oh, positive. I just said good things about the boys. It's because they don't have advocates. You know? Seriously, my whole Twitter following all this dumb stuff that's happening in my life right now is simply because I was willing to listen. Listen. God will fill your churches. These men are trying to fight and build, and they have a hammer in one hand and a sword in another, and so these men steal their hearts. If they're going to Jordan Peterson, it's your fault. Pastors, fathers, it's your fault. Stop being a baby. Stop being a victim. Take responsibility. Repent. Repent of your misplaced, weak fatherhood. That's what we have to do as a church. Jordan Peterson, have you read his book? Oh, man, it was so, st- it was terrible. Like, I couldn't finish it. I was like, how can anyone listen to this dualistic nonsense? You know, Jungian psychological archetypes. And then he'll say that, the guy's a deceiver. I, I don't understand his, I guess I do understand his appeal, but the book was really hard. And I thought, like, we can all do better than this. We, I mean, we got God's word. The church is in danger of losing another generation of men. We are in danger of prolonging our time in exile. And we need Nehemiahs who will lead men in the work of rebuilding, but they are few. Many leaders in the church won't even acknowledge that Jerusalem is burning at all. Like, I love that little meme of that dog with the coffee. This is fine. It's like everything's on fire, right? You know, like, look, I don't have to believe in Q, to say, like, it's a bad time, right? (laughs) Crazy things are happening. Uh, It's not fine. And there's a lot that see something's going on, but they don't know how to explain it. Hey, that was me for a long time. You know, I just didn't understand the plight of divorcees, of male divorcees in the church. I mean, I'm, I'm happily married. It's just not my world. Um, me and my wife met before the internet took off We're like the last of a generation dated my high school sweetheart that's not, that's not what the world's like anymore I mean, people talking to me about their text game the right way to text a girl I don't want to text her too much, too little, too soon all this stuff, I'm like man, this sounds terrible you know, this is like radio instructions um, but this is the world and a lot to understand it and so there's some that are blind guides because they want to be blind and there's others that just don't know better Nonetheless, they are prescribing solutions that only fail to address the core problem, but create more of that problem. Man up! <laughs> I can't. I, it's okay to say. I mean, Paul basically says it. But look, if you don't know how to be a man, and someone like leans into you and screams "Man up," you're like, and <laughs> how do I man up? Well, you just man up. It's common sense, dude. No, it's not. So man up, stop being a baby. Here's how you do it, (laughs) right? Like walk them through it. Anyway, there's this huge void. And conferences like this one is a modest contribution to filling this void with something other than unbiblical judgments from secular Absaloms. If you're here, you want to rebuild the walls and reset the gates of society. And that must start from within. It must start in our own households, and then move out to the reform of the household of faith. But it starts with you today, right now. I uh, had this conversation. You know, people friend you on Facebook, and you're like, please don't be weird. Um, no, I'm not going to support your orphanage. Um, but, uh, but this guy sends me this video, and he's like, it's happening now. And it's like some of this conspiracy stuff that's going on right now. And I asked him, I said, so, what are you going to do? What, what do you want me to do with this information? Like what? Like, oh, it's happening. Like Trust the plan. What do you want me to do, man? What, what are you going to do with this news? What, can you tell me one practical step that comes from this news? And he said, well, I don't have any. I said, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And I said, please don't send this to me anymore. Said, well, maybe you're doubting Thomas. Ah, maybe I am. Maybe if you told me something to do, I wouldn't doubt the value of this stupid YouTube video. You know that you sent me on Facebook Messenger thirty minutes after you friended me, weirdo. Um, this is weird. It's strange. But guess what? If you come to a conference like this and hear people teach you, and you just listen and you just take it in, and you don't take any practical steps, you were just laughing at yourself, right, Paul Washer? Right. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. That guy, that guy needs fiber. Um, But uh, so listen carefully to the speakers. Listen very carefully. All right. I want you to listen to this grid. Second Timothy two twenty two. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What do you need to flee? What do you need to pursue? And who are you going to do it with? If you take two or three things away from this time and actually apply it and be doers of the word, not just hearers, we're well on our way to rebuilding things. And that especially goes for you men. Because as a man goes, so goes his household. As a household goes, so goes the church. And as a church goes, so goes society. Let's pray. Father, our hope is in you and you alone. Even the cross looked like a defeat, but it was a victory. We pray that our faith would not be in the West. Our faith wouldn't be in America, but our faith would be in you, Lord, and it would be an active faith, one that works, one that does, one that doesn't just talk, doesn't just listen, but flees and pursues and does it with your people. Lord, build up the men here, build them up to be fearers of you. We pray that they would learn how to be a father because you are their father, God. And that you would add to them manly, godly virtues, that they would neither be effeminate nor macho, but godly. We pray for the young men in here, Lord, that you would raise them up and protect them from the enemies uh, that wage war against their souls, especially the devil. Pray that they would take their soul very serious. We pray for the marriages here, God, that you would strengthen them, that they would uh, be a reflection of the church's relationship with your son, God, and that their homes wouldn't be a place for Netflix and chill, but a true household, a productive place, a place where they can grow a holy, godly culture. And we pray that that culture would spread, God. That you would strengthen us to make disciples. We praise you. We thank you. Bless the rest of this conference. We ask in your son's name, amen. Amen. Amen.